0: Welcome to Idaho SESTA's podcast, where we'll be focusing on classroom management this year. This is a place for general and special education teachers of all grade levels to hear about topics important to helping you develop effective classroom management practices to improve student performance and maintain appropriate behavior in your classrooms. I'm Kylie Atkinson, Behavior Coordinator with Idaho SESTA, and I provide support in regions five and six of Idaho, so the southeast part of Idaho. Today, we're going to do a deeper dive into challenging behaviors. Before listening to this podcast, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the Challenging Behavior podcast. In the Challenging Behavior podcast, the following points were covered. What interventions can be used during a crisis situation? What triggers occurred before the behavior? And what the most effective approach to reduce those triggers are? Today we're gonna have multiple talking points, but I really wanna focus on what a crisis plan is and what is used for. So while the last podcast talked more about how we can reduce triggers and do interventions before and after, I really wanna walk through what it looks like to help a student through a crisis and why a crisis plan is useful. So a crisis plan is used only during a crisis and it is the game plan on how staff are going to help respond to the student to help de-escalate the student. A crisis plan is not used as a behavior plan. A functional behavior assessment and behavior plan will still need to be conductive so we can put evidence-based interventions in place to prevent the behavior and to teach replacement behaviors. A crisis plan is just meant for when there is a crisis and we need to get the environment safe again and de-escalate the student. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each step of what a crisis plan is. On the Classroom Management Behavior Series page with this podcast, there will be a link to Idaho CESTA's crisis plan, a document that lays out how to write out the steps of a crisis plan. Other resources will be linked there as well. So this was adapted from Managing the Cycle of Acting Out Behavior in the Classroom by Dr. Jeff Colvin and Dr. Terrence Scott. The first phase we have is what's called the calm phase. This is when the student is in a personal best state for this individual, both physiologically and emotionally. Their reasoning and communicating ability and skills are within a range that's typical for this individual student. So there's nothing that we need to really do in this phase other than continue our good tier one and tier two levels of classroom management intervention, and doing all of our good teaching practices. The second phase after calm phase is called the trigger phase. This is when something in the environment, external or within, internal, has changed. Examples are the room became warmer than usual, another student said something, power went out, the student had breakfast, has a fever, something triggered the student. This can look like the student beginning to behave in an atypical manner for baseline or for the comp phase. The team may not outwardly see any triggers that is often a study that antecedent that may be internalized and then it just kind of accumulates. So how should your staff respond or should you respond? You're gonna remove or address the aversive stimuli. So we can open a window, we can cool down the room, provide the student a the snack. These are where our good antecedent strategies come into place. Redirect students' thoughts around what you taught them previously. During the crisis cycle, this phase and the next phase is where you're going to try your best to do your good antecedent strategies to help the student de-escalate before they start to really escalate and get into their crisis. Our third phase is called the agitation phase. What happens here is the change that initially happened persists whether it's externally or internally or both, or there's something else on top of what was already triggering them that's going to increase. And you're going to see escalating behavior. This can look like jerky movements, tightly held body, clenched fists, speech that cuts off conversation, hard to focus, withdrawn. And the staff response should be minimize the situation by doing something different, try to distract them. This is where, again, we're going to try to get them back to calm so that way we don't see them escalate. Next is the acceleration phase. This is when they start to exhibit behaviors that actually elicit a response. They're accelerating to the top part of the crisis cycle. This can look like arguing, swearing, threatening, intimidating, being defiant, leaving the room or the environment, property destruction. So what should staff do? We should remove the triggers that perpetuate the escalation, establish a bottom line, so safety for student and others, detach and disengage from student, but remain neutrally supportive and available for safety. The next phase is the peak phase. This is where they have hit the top of the crisis cycle and they are completely escalated. They're out of control and they exhibit more severe behavior. This can look like physical aggression to self and others, severe property destruction, severe tantrums, hyperventilating, running away. How should staff respond during this? We should minimize peak and continue steps from escalation. We should focus on student and staff safety and we should clear the room if not already done. The next phase is the de-escalation phase. So once the student has completely escalated and they're at their peak, at some point they have to calm down. It can't go on for forever and ever and ever. At some point they will start to come down and staff need to ask themselves, how does the team know the student is de-escalating? This can look like confusion, attempts to project blame or apologize, attempts to reconcile, ensure they are liked, safe, withdrawal, and they can respond to concrete directions. So how should staff respond? They should ask the question, how does the team test that the student is ready to return to normal routine? Now, part of this is that there are already routines and expectations in place. So there's a smoother and easier transition back from the crisis because there is already routines and expectations in place. Other ways that we can look at supporting the student during the de-escalation phase is making sure that we give little to minimal attention during both the peak phase as well as the de-escalation phase. We wouldn't want to accidentally reinforce behavior that is attention seeking. We want to also focus on removing any confrontation and we want to make sure we debrief with the student at a different time not during this part of the crisis cycle. Remember, this is not a time for debrief or consequences, and this is not a time to force a return to task or activity that caused escalation. This is where we're trying to test calmness with requests for small motor movements, something easy. This is where we tend to see teams ask the student to return to whatever sparked the crisis is in this de-escalation phase. This might be part of the conversation about transitioning back, but a lot of teams want them to go back to whatever had triggered it to not let them get out of it, but they wanna do it too quickly. If we go too early, what we could do is we could actually put them into another crisis cycle and they're gonna escalate even further because they're not completely recovered and ready to go. We totally agree that you know we need to teach students that they can't get out of things, But if we do it too early, we're actually providing all these opportunities for our students to practice crisis behavior over and over and learn that if they do that, they get to keep escaping. If you get them back to it too early and then the crisis begins again, then they're inevitably getting out of it again. Just make sure that, yes, we do want to make sure they get back to what they were doing, but we need to do it at a time and a phase where they're ready for it and not too early. Tell you when this is exactly going to be because each student is an individual and we'll talk about how to make a crisis plan for each student but usually it's not in the de-escalation phase it's usually in what we call the recovery phase this is what it looks like recovery is they've completely de-escalated and even after they've de-escalated they almost have what we call crisis hangover if you will where they get more tired than they were in baseline And they're just not quite ready. Once they've fully come back, we've seen that they've recovered. They're willing to engage. They're subdued, willing to resume work. And we should focus on routine activities, reinforce small displays of appropriate behavior, and debrief later. If we put the work back on them, do it slowly. Only have them do a couple of problems at a time and let them earn a break and then come back. That will really help. When we talk about those phases of a crisis cycle, something we really want to talk about is debriefing with the student later. We want to make sure we do it at the appropriate time. And sometimes this can be during the recovery phase if they're completely ready to go. It might not be till later that day, an hour or two later, or even the next day. A debrief with the student should be focusing on what we could have done instead to help get them what they needed, teaching them what their replacement behavior is. That's the point of debriefing with the student. Now, when it comes to debriefing with your staff, what that looks like is either later that day when all the students are gone, because we don't want to talk in front of students or the next day, but finding a time where they can debrief with students gone and go through questions of... What happened? What could have we done better? What did we do the right way? What can we do to help prevent this in the future and help them not get to the peak crisis of the cycle? You're really gonna wanna ask those questions. Now, when it comes to actually planning this crisis plan, we want you to refer to the document that we have put out through Idaho SESTA that walks through the crisis plan. There's some basic questions that you'll need to ask Things like in case of a room clear, who's going to stay with the student, who removes the other students, who neutrally engages with student and sees the crisis through, who documents everything and informs all the team members, who leads the staff debrief meeting at the end of it. There's some basic questions there, but when we're looking at the the crisis plan document that we put together, we're going to go through each phase of the crisis cycle and We gave examples of what it will look like, but then there's going to be some blank boxes that you're going to fill out. What does this actually look like for your student? We can give some suggestions, but every student's different. Every student I've had is completely different when it comes to what these phases look like. And knowing what it's going to look like for each of your students will help you be able to know when to intervene and how. For the trigger phase, we gave suggestions of what it should look like. There's that initial trigger. But what does that actually look like for your student? And what are the common triggers for your student? We gave some recommended adult responses, like redirect your student's thoughts, remind them what you taught previously. But what are you actually going to do? And write it out. What is this team member's reaction and response? Who does it? What does it look like? Next is that agitation phase. That's where we said they got a little bit more triggered. Sometimes we will see those jerky movements. It's hard for them to focus clenched fists, and the next column, it's looking at what specifically this looks like for your student. We asked the question, how does the team know a crisis is coming? Write it out. So that way, when you hand this plan over to your staff, everyone knows exactly what it looks like. We recommended minimizing the situation by doing something different and distracting. But what does that actually look like for your student? The question is, what will the team do to prevent this crisis? Next is acceleration. This is where we start to see a lot more intense behavior, the arguing, the swearing, property destruction, etc. But what does that actually look like for your student? So anyone who works with a student knows what it looks like. We recommended removing the triggers that perpetuate the escalation, establishing a bottom line detach or disengage from the student and still mutually support them. But what does that look like for the student specifically? How is your team going to do that and who is going to do that? The next phase is the peak phase. Remember, this is the really top part of the crisis cycle. This is where we see them getting out of control. We see a lot of physical aggression, property destruction, But what does that actually look like for your student? Some students, it could be throwing things. Some students, it could be getting aggressive. It can look different. What we suggested is minimize the peak and continue steps from de-escalation and focus on staff and clear the room. This is where we want everyone to be safe. We left you a box to say, how are you as a team going to do this? What does this look like for your student? Every class that I've been in has a different layout. Different types of staff, different type of kids. We want to make sure we take all of that into account. Next is de-escalation. That's where we're starting to see them get confused. Attempts to reconcile. They'll start to respond to really simple, concrete directions. But how does your team know that the student is de-escalating? Because it does. It looks different for every student. What we suggested was focusing on removing excess confrontation. This is not when we debrief. This is not when we try to get them back to the task they were doing. This is when we're trying to get them to get calm and we'll test that calmness with requests for small motor movements or something easy. So the question we asked you is how does the team test that the student is ready to return to normal routine? What does that look like for your student? Last is recovery. This is where the student is willing to engage in non-interactive waves. They're more subdued. They're willing to resume work. But what does that look like for your student exactly? Then we suggested providing focus on routine activities and reinforcing small displays of appropriate behavior and to debrief later. So what does that look like specifically for your student? Now, if you write that all out, you're gonna have a crisis plan and it will have step-by-step what each phase looks like for your student and how you as a staff need to respond. The last part of the document, we want to make sure everyone completely understands their role in the crisis plan and who the team member is. So, some of those questions I already asked you: When a crisis arises, what is each team member's role? So, if there's a room clear, who stays with the student? Who removes the student? Who neutrally engages with student and sees the crisis through? Who documents it and informs people? And who leads a staff debrief meeting? If you use this document it will really help you write out exactly what the crisis plan should look like for your student and then you and your staff will all be on the same page of who responds and how. That's how you know it's a good crisis plan when all the staff know what their roles are they can recognize signs of each of the phases for the student and they know how to respond in each of the phase and then later know how to debrief and move on and start again. Now, the other thing I want to follow up with is, again, a crisis plan, though very needed and very helpful when it is written out and people understand their role so no one gets hurt, we can help the student de-escalate as quick as possible and keep everybody safe. It is still not a behavior intervention plan. This is not something that should take the place of behavior intervention plan. And if it is used that way, you'll just keep spinning your wheels and nothing will ever get better. In fact, it'll probably happen more often. Because if this is what they're used to, if I escalate and I get out of things, or if I escalate and this is the response I get every single time, they're probably gonna do it more. So remember, this is the time to start the functional behavior assessment process and get a good behavior intervention plan in place that looks at the triggers and the functions of behavior so you can put good interventions into place and teach a replacement behavior to the student of how they're going to get their needs met instead of escalating which is perfect for a debrief. In order to debrief and go over, hey, this is what happened. Let's look at the triggers and why you were frustrated and what we could have done differently there to help you be able to stay calm, which is using good interventions and using their replacement behavior skills. So a crisis plan does not take the place of a well-run functional behavior assessment, behavior plan, or good instruction on what they need to do for a replacement behavior. In closing today, we took a deeper dive into challenging behaviors, specifically how to handle a crisis situation with a plan that will keep everyone safe and de-escalate the student. Hopefully you've come away with more understanding on how to respond to a crisis situation. If you guys have any questions, please reach out to us. You can request assistance from your behavior coordinator by reaching out to us independently through our email or you can submit a ticket through our help desk. That's at IdahoSESTA.org slash home, and you just click on the request assistance page. I'd like to thank Idaho Training Clearinghouse for helping to bring this podcast to you. ITC has been making special education, training opportunities, and resources available to school professionals and parents for many years. Whether you're looking for behavioral strategies, how to write high quality support for professionals, Assistive technology, collaborating with general education teachers, and so much more. The ITC is a great first stop. Topics are covered with modules, webinars, and downloadable resources right from your desktop or handheld device. Visit idahotc.com and begin your search with our Behavior Topics page to see what's already there. I want to thank you for joining me today. I was really excited to bring all this content to you, and I want to give a special thank you for giving me your time and your ears. You can find this in future podcasts as well as other great resources on topics relevant to classroom management on the Out of the Box series webpage located on the Idaho Training Clearinghouse at idahotc.com slash behavior. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.